Before we begin, I'd like to make some quick shoutouts. Thank you, Gertie Shirts. Mimics Makings. If you ever want to buy beautiful homemade pie show boards, Mimics Makings is the place to go. M-I-M-I-C-S Makings. You can find them on Instagram. I'd also like to thank Cobra Crochet, Taiyazuki, Oh Boy It's Lauren, Mindset of Anime, Miha Corazon, Mythical Space Ghost, and Kevin, the first person to leave comments on our website. Thank you so much for your love and support for this podcast. It means a lot to us. I'd also like to clarify that after recording this, I remembered that Jason Isaacs also played Malfoy's dad, Lucius Malfoy. So when you're listening to this podcast, I am so sorry. I caught my stupidity after when I was editing and I was like, oh my god, I'm so stupid. How did I forget that the voice of Commander Zhao is also Lucius Malfoy? So keep that in mind when you're listening to this episode. And uh, yeah, without further ado, warning. The following podcast contains massive spoilers. If you haven't seen Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra yet, and don't mind spoilers, hopefully this podcast will inspire you to watch along with us. Now let's begin. Hello! Welcome to Beyond Bending, a show about a bunch of millennials analyzing an animated kids show, Avatar, The Last Airbender. I'm your host, Marilyn Chonthala, and today's special guest I have... Hey, it's Alyssa, Marilyn's best friend from college. We were roommates together, um, and I've known her for like five years. So yeah, this is the Alyssa that was supposed to be the special guest for the last episode for Spirit World Winter Solstice Part 1, but <laughs> my dumbass forgot to record half of it on Skype, so I'm sorry. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> Alright, let's just jump right into it. Let's get started. Yeah, let's start it. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about Episode 8, The Spirit World Winter Solstice Part 2. We're back at the village that was destroyed earlier by Heibai. It's nighttime now, and we see Aang pulling on Appa's reins. He tells Appa how he wants to go to the Fire Nation without Sokka and Katara, because he doesn't want anything to happen to them. Appa refuses to budge. Katara and Sokka come out, and they tell Aang to not go. Aang says he has to, because he needs to talk to Avatar Roku, and he's running out of time, because the winter solstice is, like, literally today, and he needs to get there now. Katara and Sokka physically run in front of Appa before Aang takes off and tells him that he's not leaving. At least, not without his friends. Momo hops on Aang's shoulder and Appa licks Sokka, who's like completely disgusted by this. The leader of the village hands Aang supplies, and they take off. We cut to later that night. The leader steps outside his house after not being able to fall asleep, and Zuko ambushes him. He shoves the leader back inside and says, Seen the Avatar lately? We cut to sunrise. The gang is flying on Appa, and Aang tells him to go faster. We cut to Zuko's ship following the gang's trail. Uncle Iroh scolds Zuko on how sailing into Fire Nation waters is literally the stupidest thing he's ever done. Zuko says he has no choice, and Uncle Iroh says he won't be able to save him if he gets caught. Zuko says that his father will understand, and this is where we get a great quote from Uncle Iroh, and he says, You give him too much credit. My brother is not the understanding type. And then Zuko pulls out, he like completely ignores this by the way, he pulls out like a catapult from underneath the ship deck, sets a cannonball on fire, and launches it at the gang. The gang dodges. But wait! 
there's an even bigger problem. A blockade! Uncle Iroh tells Zuko to turn back now, and Aang suggests to Katara that they should go around the blockade, but Katara's like, ain't nobody got time for that. (laughs) And then Aang does like this annoying hero trope thing, where he's like, I told you not to come, it's too dangerous. And Katara's like, in the nicest way possible, she basically said like, fuck you dude, like that's exactly why we're here, it's because it is too dangerous. The gang heads straight towards the blockade, and guess who's magically on one of the ships that's like perfectly timed to be at the exact spot where the gang and Zuko is like trying to get past the blockade. Commander Zhao! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I kind of thought the same thing when I watched the episode. It's like, doesn't he have better things to do? He's like a high-ranking military guy and he's just like chilling on a ship in a blockade when it's like, aren't there greater battles to be had during the war? Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, he orders the captain to shoot them down, knowing full-on well that he might hit Zuko. A hundred fire cannons launch at the gang and they manage to dodge all of them, but embers end up hitting Appa. Appa yells out in pain and the gang tries to pat his fur down to put out the fires. One of the fire cannons hits Zuko's ship and a worker tells him that they need to stop to do repairs now, but ain't nobody got time for that. Zuko straight up ignores him. There's a lot of ignoring in this episode. Zuko straight up ignores him and continues to sail into the blockade. We cut to the gang now above the clouds. Commander Zhao launches a second wave of like a hundred fire cannons at them, and two of these fire cannons collide and explode in front of Appa's face, causing Appa to flinch, which causes Sokka to fly off the saddle. Sokka starts free-falling, and Aang pulls Appa's reins and makes him dive straight down. They catch him, and as the gang gets closer to the blockade, Commander Zhao throws a fire cannon right at them, but Aang launches off of Appa, winds up, and air kicks the fire cannon with so much force that it causes the fire cannon to, like, disintegrate from the inside out. But yeah, so the gang made it past the blockade, and Commander Zhao is confused. He isn't sure where they're headed, but lets Zuko's ship pass. There's a moment where both of them look at each other and we're not really sure if they're making eye contact or if they're just like generally looking at each other's ships. Yeah, I think they totally make eye contact. As Zuko's ship sails into Fire Nation territory, they look back at the blockade and wonder too why Commander Zhao let them pass. Oof. So yeah, you know, I think it's funny that Commander Zhao is there when he should have better things to do as like a high ranking military guy. What's his title at this point in the show? Is it Admiral? I think it's Commander now. Commander right now, but later he gets promoted to Admiral, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't know the hierarchy. So he was Captain, right? He was Captain and Commander Admiral. Or was it General? Fuck if I know. I don't know. First of all, all of these titles are very American, and I think that's pretty interesting. And that General Zhao himself is, he's kind of like an American military archetype. You know, in movies, whenever there's like kind of the asshole military guy, like I think of the other Avatar movie, you know, the Blue Aliens, where there's like the big evil military guy. It's like a very similar attitude and like worldview and stuff. It's kind of like, you know, a trope in film and TV, like imperialist, angry, American military, high ranking soldier. I think that's kind of interesting because his name is General Zhao, but he like looks and sounds like an American military guy. (laughs) Yeah. Commander Zhao is voiced by Jason Isaacs. I know him from the Jackie Chan movie with like the suit. I think that's what it's called, the suit. Do you remember that 
I do. I really do. Yeah. The suit where like the you put on the suit and then he's like uh, has like extra kung fu powers or something. Yeah. So that's where I know him from. Um, I can't remember what else I've seen him in. But yeah, he does a great job voicing Commander Zhao because he's a complete asshole. Like um, in episode three, Mark brought up a good point where he says Commander Zhao is the first villain we meet. Because Zuko isn't really the villain, he's an anti-hero that we find out later. And when we meet Commander Zhao in that whole episode in the Southern Air Temple and with the Agni Kai, like there's nothing redeemable about him. Like, he's a hypocrite and a coward and doesn't mind killing a 16-year-old. I don't know if I would call Zuko an anti-hero. I think that for most of the show, he's a bad guy. Um, He is definitely opposite and against everything our hero Aang works for and stands for. Zuko is flawed and has like inner turmoil and he has a story and like a background as to why he is the way he is. That doesn't necessarily mean the way he is is good or hero in any way, even an anti-hero, I think. And he doesn't even make the switch till like the middle of the third season. So I think that like, yeah, he changes sides towards the end. That doesn't mean he's an anti-hero. I think he just actually makes a change. But I freaking love Zuko. And I think that like you learn his story and like why he is the way he is. And it makes him understandable and like humanizing even though he like does bad things yeah i agree it's hard for me to watch the show again because past marilyn really loved zuko but watching it now and seeing all of the horrible things he's done so far like in episode two there's like a shot where he goes to the south pole right and he crashes into the ice there's a shot where the ice cracks And as the ice pieces are, like, separating, there's, like, a baby there that's about to fall into the cracks. And Katara, like, swoops in and saves the baby. So Zuko almost killed a baby. And he manhandled Grand Grand. He, like, grabbed her and started, like, shaking her around. Ugh, it's just so bad. And then you see in this episode, he's like a straight up thug. Like he goes into that village and harasses and interrogates the handsome Squidward looking leader dude in that village. (laughs) Yeah, he's definitely conflicted, but he's definitely a bad guy. And I feel like they needed, if it was just Zuko, I think the show would be missing that kind of like pure enemy, you know, adversary. So they had to have someone like General Zhao. And then once he gets defeated at the end of the first season, they replaced him immediately with Azula because there has to be, I feel like this show and film in general, Zuko is almost too likable and too conflicted to be sole adversary. So they had to have someone who was just sociopathic where you can really, really root for the protagonist, the good guy. Yeah, for sure. And then Uncle Iroh balances Zuko out too. In, like, every way. I freaking love them together. If I had to choose my favorite character, it would be them two together. (laughs) (laughs) And then I mentioned this before, how Uncle Iroh is, like, the catalyst for the audience to where he's eye-rolling for us. He's like, Zuko, this is literally the stupidest thing you've ever done. Why are you sailing back into Fire Nation waters? And then Zuko just doesn't care. 
And then the part where Uncle Iroh is like, my brother is not who you think he is. Zuko has this like angel filter over his father. Even though he is a victim of domestic abuse, his dad gave him that scar. Like he burned him and he banished him. Like there's no, ugh, it's just hard to watch Zuko have this is it even love at this point? He's just so consumed by wanting to please his father that he doesn't even see the monster. Or does he even know that his father is the monster everyone views him as? I would say no. I think it even alludes to that later in the show where he, you know, discovers the truth of like the Fire Nation and how everyone in the world is actually afraid of them. I don't know. I think at the beginning, Zuko is under the impression or like is influenced by this Fire Nation propaganda that what they're doing is right and that, you know, their way of life is the best way of life and they are trying to share their wealth or whatever. I think later in the season, he does mention where it's like, it's when he has that confrontation, I think, during the eclipse where he is like, everyone in the world actually hates us and are suffering because of us. And then the Fire Lord is like, duh bitch. I don't care. And I like it. <laughs> Zuko definitely deifies his father, which is like godly, flawless and untouchable. I mean, you know, royalty, there's always some like sense of godliness when it comes to like a ruler, even though the show really doesn't touch on like God or anything like that. Well, I mean, it, it has its own religion in the four elements and shit. Anyways, I just think that someone could really go into the deep layers of Zuko with like the abuse and how he also like puts his father on a pedestal basically and all the pain and turmoil and I think the show like does the arc and his turnaround perfectly because there were so many missteps along the way he was like he almost makes the turnaround and like becomes good but then just doesn't. Also I feel like Uncle Iroh this is where I see it and it's not very hand-fisted but Uncle Iroh has to have a lot of restraint if he's gonna let Zuko sail into Fire Nation waters. He straight up says, like, I can't, like, you're on your own if you get caught. Us knowing now, everything Uncle Iroh's done for him and all of the love he has for his nephew, there's still that part in him that trusts Zuko to seize his own destiny, even if it is sailing back into danger. And so I thought that was really interesting to watch. I feel like he views his own role as like a gentle guiding hand and not like an authoritative father figure, you know, because I think he's he knows better and he knows that like if he were to be authoritative or demanding of Zuko, Zuko would revolt like almost instinctively and like immediately. So he knows that he can't, you know, it is Zuko's journey and Zuko will have to find his path by making his own decisions and not by being forced to by the elder or whatever. You know, he would have never found his own path. I keep disagreeing with all of your points. I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> <laughs> like not, this is a debate. You bring up a point and I will shoot you down. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I feel like that's how it is in real life, too, when we're talking. Yeah. We're, just co we're complete opposites. You're like, <laughs> I think this. And I'm like, actually, it might be this other way. <laughs> so I'm team Katang and you're team Zutara, right? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. 
you know, when I was rewatching this season, because side note, I started from the beginning, you know, like that week or so before I was supposed to do your last episode. And I've sort of watched the whole series almost all the way through by this point. And I have to say, this shit didn't even really cross my mind. This wasn't really this whole like sexual tension that Katara... Katara has sexual tension with everybody. Oh my gosh, she has sexual tension <laughs> with the dude from the Earth Kingdom in the first season. She has sexual tension with Jet. She has sexual tension with Aang throughout. And then she has sexual tension with someone else, possibly. And then at the very end, Zuko? I don't know. I don't necessarily see Katara and Zuko as a thing. Weren't you the one that told me that you think Zuko's voice is, like, so sexy? Oh, fuck yeah. Have you heard it? (laughs) And he's just so... Oof. Everything about Zuko is so sexy. (laughs) Like, his pain and his turmoil and his voice and... You know those points where he's like so like he's his voice is almost cracking and he's like out of breath. He's so exhausted from his emotional turmoil. Oh my god, I love it. I don't know what I was thinking, like past Marilyn was thinking when I did want Zuko and Katara to hook up, but now looking back, I'm like, no, Zuko is literally trying to kill her at every turn. Yeah. And like Hella uses her to get to Aang. I think Zuka has more chemistry with Aang at that point because he's always just like hunting him down if you want to look at those homoerotic undertones. Oh my god, plot twist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, isn't that interesting how there's that difference watching as a kid versus watching as an adult? I feel like things I take so much more seriously into heart because, you know, you fucking understand better what pain and death (laughs) is. really means when you're an adult versus when you're a kid (laughs) crazy yeah once we get to the jet episode i'm going to talk more about relationships but we've also like (laughs) we've had a bunch of bad relationships so we know what to look out for and what to avoid but yeah that's that's digressing um oh my god can we talk about that blockade yeah that looks like it goes on for like hundreds of miles and the blockade is going in both directions like it's a double line of ships going in both directions like i've heard in real life that there's like oh the russian blockade and sorry to bring modern day politics into this but uh that was like a fucking violation of international law i don't know i don't really i know blockades are a real thing but i I don't know if that's how they really are seems kind of almost impossible Yeah, there's no way it's possible to have that many ships, right? Even in this world. I mean, unless they... The only reason I can think of is that the Fire Nation does take resources from all of the villages that they've conquered. So maybe they have exploited that and built that many ships that they can fucking just use and abuse... Do those ships on those blockades even get any action? I feel like they don't. I feel like that's a waste of resources for the Fire Nation to have that many ships on that blockade. Yeah, well, maybe to clarify, I don't think that that blockade is like in the middle of the ocean. I don't know, I took a class on like coastal ecology and like we talked a little bit about international law and it's like you can only kind of own the waters 200 miles out. So I, I don't know, I kind of imagine that like this blockade is only like 100 miles, 200 miles off the coast. Yeah. It's not like this blockade is running the entire length of the ocean or something, right? 
I was confused too, so I had to look at like an avatar map because there's like some fan maps out there. But yeah, it isn't in the middle of the ocean, but it is like in between like a slither of like Haybys Forest and the crescent-shaped island. Because the entire Fire Nation is kind of shaped like a crescent, right? So maybe the blockade is just across that. I don't know, maybe we're getting too into this. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they have like a huge amount of resources and they have like crazy huge army <laughs> it's like so unnecessary but I bet it is like not that far off of like what happens in real life with the U.S. army and how it's just so overblown and like ridiculously huge yeah yeah for sure and Commander Zhao is just coincidentally placed on the right ship at the right time you know yep just because you have to move the plot along <laughs> And then when Commander Zhao launches that fireball at the gang and Aang air kicks it, it just disintegrates like nothing. And in episode 6, you see Haru and Tyro, like they compact a boulder and then they launch it at the prison wall that's probably like 10 feet thick of just straight up metal and it pierces through that and yet Aang's able to kick through that? How does Avatar physics work? I don't think the laws of physics are that strict in this cartoon. <laughs> if anyone can explain this to me, please. Please do. <laughs> Going back to the beginning of the episode, when Aang wants to take off without Sokka and Katara, and Katara, she says a line where she's like telling Aang not to go and that she doesn't know what she'll do if anything happens to him. And she's trying to like do like the puppy dog eyes to get him to stay. And then Aang's like... Nah, I gotta go. <laughs> it was really refreshing for me to watch because for the past seven episodes, Aang has been like all over Katara. And then in this episode, he puts his duty first before love. And so this is like the signs are there that eventually Aang is gonna have to detach himself from like earthly connections if he wants to be the Avatar. Back to the gang. They finally reach the crescent-shaped island and land. Appa lays on his back, completely exhausted. Poor guy. <laughs> like, he did so much work in this episode. Katara's like, aw, you must be tired, and starts petting Appa. Sokka's like, nope, I'm actually good and ready to go. Katara was like, I was talking to Appa. And Sokka's like, oh, well, I was talking to Momo, <laughs> and tries to cover his ass, but it doesn't work. They start squabbling a bit, but there's no time for that. It's almost sundown, and the gang starts running inside the fire temple. As they are heading down the hallway, the fire sages pop out from behind them and introduce themselves. Aang introduces himself back as the avatar, and they're like, we know. And they start firebending at them. Aang deflects a blast and holds them off while Katara and Sokka flee. The great sage leader, person, whatever, in the credits they call him the great sage, so, sure. The Great Sage tells the other sages that they must stop the Avatar before he sees Avatar Roku, or else there's no telling how powerful he'll become. As the gang is running through the halls, one of the Fire Sages corners them and tells them that he's a friend. The gang doesn't believe him, so the Fire Sage bows to Aang and tells him that he can take him to Avatar Roku. He gets back up, turns to the wall, and turns one of the lanterns sideways to reveal a hidden hole and fire bends into it. A secret passageway opens up, and the fire sage tells the gang to hurry. 
They follow him. We cut to Prince Zuko asking Uncle Iroh why Commander Zhao let them go. Uncle Iroh tells him so he can follow them to the Avatar. So Zuko starts devising a plan. We cut back to the Fire Temple. The Fire Sage tells Aang how the temple used to be Avatar Roku's home, and he formed the secret passageways underneath the temple out of magma. He goes on by telling Aang how every Fire Sage has family ties to the temple, so it's like a family tradition to be a Fire Sage, I guess? He goes on by saying how a couple of weeks ago, Avatar Roku's eyes started glowing, and that's how he knew Aang was coming. Katara points out how that was around the same time they were at the Southern Air Temple. Aang's confused. He asks why the Fire Sages attacked him. He goes on to explain how the past sages were only loyal to the Avatar, but lost faith after years of waiting for the Avatar to return. Aang feels really guilty, and it doesn't help that Sokka's like rubbing it in. We learn that the Fire Sages were forced to change their allegiance to the Fire Lord. He tells Aang that he knew he would have to betray the other Fire Sages to help him. Aang thanks him, and the Fire Sage smiles. They finally reach the entrance of Avatar Roku's room, but it's closed, and it is in this moment where we finally learn the Fire Sage's name. Mr. Fire Sage. No, his, his name is Shayu. Christopher. No. <laughs> Anyways, Aang asks Shayu why he's freaking out, and Shayu tells him that the sanctuary doors are closed, and the only way that they can get inside is to do five simultaneous fire blasts. Only a fully realized avatar or five firebenders can open it. Sokka's light bulb goes off, and he says he has an idea. We cut to Prince Zuko telling Uncle Iroh that he's going to use a smokescreen from his main ship to sneak away. He gets into a smaller ship and sails towards the fire temple. So what have we learned? We learned that there's a lot of really cool doors in this show. (laughs) What have you learned? Fire Sage's loyalty ain't worth shit. Give up only after like a hundred years. Is it like an allegory for how secular America has become, like compared to how religious people were back then? You're saying the sages lost their religion? Yeah, because their one job or religion is to worship the avatar. But I mean, look at their hats. They look like priests. A lot can happen in a hundred years, you know, if they waited and waited and like the avatar was supposed to be reincarnated and then it obviously never was. Because I think Shayu says when Fire Lord Ozai came into power, there was like no more separation between church and state. Like it was just a complete dictatorship. Which makes me think, so Fire Lord Sozin and his son after that, like they were okay with the Fire Sages still being loyal? And it wasn't really a complete turn until Fire Lord Ozai came into power? Like... Oh, did you notice? Because Josh, the other person I tried to do episode 7 with, when we were doing part 1, he mentioned the 3D animation and how he started noticing it and it was really jarring for him. And so after he said that, I started paying attention to the animation and there were like a lot of shots in this episode that uses like both 2D and 3D animation. It was really weird. In like the second episode with the door to the air temple? Yeah, maybe it was the stages of like the 2000s where they were testing it out. I mean, just compared to the animation in the rest of the show, it, it definitely sticks out and not in a good way. 
yeah, doesn't really look like it belongs. Like, I feel like they could have done that animation to match the rest of the 2D animation, you know? It didn't seem very necessary to, like, make those doors look really 3D and weird. Yeah. Oh, and then every room in that temple is freaking gorgeous. Oh my god. When they finally get out of, like, the secret magma passage, Like, the secret magma passageways alone. And then when they finally get out of that, they go up the spiral staircase. And then they finally get to the sanctuary doors. And the door is so complex and, like, extravagant. Even the pillars in that whole entranceway foyer part of the temple like just dragons everywhere and it's so gorgeous i agree i think everything about the animation in the show is like very visually appealing architecture and every nation is very distinct and it's also really cool how it caters to every nation because i complained about this in previous episodes but i really wish they explored like water temples and earth temples because we only see air temples and the fire temple this is the only fire temple that we really explore and so it would have been cool to see like a water temple or an earth temple i think just for me to see how their doors would look like their secret doors (laughs) so cool yeah and secret passageways and things like that And then I also love the leader of the sages, the great sage, and how he delivers his lines. He's like so extra (laughs) and like mustache twirling, very evil minion kind of tone. There's like a lot of great lines from him later that I'll probably like try to say in, in his voice. So back to the fire temple. Sokka has a plan to use homemade bombs for what he calls fake firebending. He places lamp oil inside animal casing, ties it up, and places a bomb in each of the openings on the door. Shayu lights him up, and the bombs go off. As the smoke clears, we see that the doors are still sealed shut. Aang starts blasting the door with his airbending abilities in a fit of rage, and Katara stops him. Sokka's confused. The blasts look as powerful as any firebending he's ever seen. And this is when Katara's light bulb goes off too and says that Sokka's brilliant. Now everyone's really confused. She tells them that Sokka's plan didn't work, but it looks like it did. We cut moments later to Shayu alerting the other fire sages that the avatar is inside the sanctuary. The great sage sees a shadow underneath the doors and he starts freaking out. This is when I'm going to try to say the line like him because it's so good. Like the voice actor for this is so good. He's like... He's inside. Open the doors immediately before he contacts Avatar Roku. I can't even do it. (laughs) You have to overact even more. He's inside. (laughs) Um, I can't do it. I know I can't do it. (laughs) But anyways, the sages open the door and all they see is Momo inside. And then the great sage goes, He must have crawled through the pipes. We've been tricked. And then Momo, Sokka, Katara, and Shen. This is when everyone just pop out of nowhere and they attack the fire sages, which leaves an opening for Aang to run inside. But nothing happens. We hear a struggle from behind Pillar, and Prince Zuko pops out, and we see that he apprehended Aang. The other fire sages all of a sudden turn into, like, freaking ninjas and, like, reverse grab all of them. Zuko tells the fire sages to close the sanctuary doors, and as he starts dragging Aang away, Aang manages to get out of Zuko's grasp, kicks him down the stairs, hops over the fire sages' heads, dives in and barely makes it as the doors close in from behind him. 
After the doors close, a beam of light encapsulates the entire room. We cut to Aang now in front of Avatar Roku's statue. He looks at the statue, but nothing happens. Meanwhile, Zuko and the other fire sages try to open the door again by firebending into it, but nothing happens. And the great sage tells Zuko that Avatar Roku must have sealed the doors. We cut back inside the sanctuary room. Aang is yelling and trying to talk to Roku. And right when he does this, the light finally hits Avatar Roku's eyes. And a swirl of smoke starts surrounding Aang. When the smoke clears, we finally see Avatar Roku. Oh my god, it's so sweet. When we finally see Avatar Roku, he's like, It's good to see you, Aang. What took you so long? And it's like, aww. <laughs> True homie right there. Aang bows to Avatar Roku. We cut to outside the sanctuary doors. Zuko questions Shayu and asks him why he helped the Avatar. And Shayu's like, um, hello, it's our fucking job to literally worship the Avatar, you dumbass. <laughs> but of course he said it more politely than that. He says it's still the sage's duty to help the Avatar. It was always the sage's duty to help the Avatar. And we hear clapping from off-screen. The camera turns to reveal Commander Zhao and his henchmen. He tells Zuko that his smokescreen didn't work and apprehends him. Zuko yells at Commander Zhao and says that he's too late, but this doesn't phase him at all. Sooner or later, he has to come out, Commander Zhao says. Dun-dun-dun! Cool. Um, I have a question, but I don't know if it's stupid. Like, okay, do you think that Avatar Roku is... I don't even know how to ask this. The Avatar as a past life, is that a reflection of Aang himself? Like, is it the same as, like, Aang talking to himself? Or are they really, like, different personalities? Because as you're born anew into a new body, are you a totally different person? Like... You have different personality, you have different perspective and like way of life, views and ways of thinking, or are you really the same person just in a different body? Yeah, I think it's a different person each time with a different personality and different because Aang didn't even know he was the avatar until people told him. It's not instant, like it's uh... I mean you don't have memory of your past life, but are you still the same exact person you were in the past life? I want to say no, because you see all of the avatars, and they're all so different, but they pull from the same energy, and that's what connects them, like the avatar state. Like, I don't know, I, we'll talk about it later once Avatar Roku shows more of, like, what he can do. It's the first time they meet, this is like, oh, yeah. we're friends, but like, are you friends, or are you literally just talking to yourself and hallucinating? <laughs> I don't know. I see it as like a bunch of homies from your past lives. Like all of the avatars from like if you're the president of the United States and you finally get sworn in and you go inside the Oval Office, the room that you're in, there's all the pictures of like the presidents before you. And so there is that legacy. And so you feel like you're not alone because people have been through it before. In a sense, I see the Avatar state as, like, that version. Or, like, Dumbledore's office, where there's, like, all those paintings of the past headmasters, but they can actually talk to you. I feel like that's how it is with the Avatar state. Although it's much more elaborate than that, because they can fucking use powers. I do know what you mean, and I'm inclined to disagree. <laughs> no! <laughs> It's like similar experiences that you can kind of connect with people over or commiserate or whatever. 
like similar positions being held and similar experiences is a lot different than literally the same exact life force being reincarnated, you know? But I get what you're getting at. I mean, I don't know the answer to my own question. I just think it's interesting to think about. The whole concept of reincarnation. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, if you really want to get into, like, the biology of, like, the brain and how certain brains are, like, wired a little bit different. Okay, I don't know. This is a fucking wormhole. Can of worms I just opened up. If you're in a different body with a different brain, are you a different person than your past life? My thinking of reincarnation is that you're literally the same exact person, kind of like the same soul. I just think that's interesting that he's like, they treat each other like friends, like in the way that you're explaining, where it's like, oh, your analogy with the presidency, where it's like, I used to be president and now you're president. That's not really how I would have imagined in reincarnation. I feel like it's almost like a Western twist on like a very Eastern Asian belief system. Do you watch Doctor Who? No, never. Do you know the concept of Doctor Who? Not really. But yeah, that's the case where Doctor Who, whenever he dies, like air quotes, dies, he's reincarnated into like another body with a different personality. But he has all of his memories still from his past lives, but he is a completely different person. And so when he looks back, he probably would do things differently than his other reincarnations. And I haven't seen the new season with the girl, but Doctor Who finally reincarnated into a girl. And I was like really skeptical with that because I feel like, and I'm just talking out of my ass because I haven't seen the new season, but there is the situation where, because Doctor Who in the past have had love interests and shown like sexual attraction towards female humans. And so if the doctor is reincarnated into a woman, is she now a lesbian? Or are they going to make it so that she is attracted to males now? I haven't seen it yet, but they probably made her asexual and not even go into like the whole love interest thing. Oh my god, we're going on 10 minutes. Sorry, that was my bad. This might be a little bit unrelated, but (laughs) oh well. (laughs) Oh, I also wanted to talk about how the leader of the Fire Sage... That whole dynamic, he's telling Zuko that Avatar Roku is the reason why they're not able to get in. And as the great sage, as being the leader of the sages, and acknowledging that, like, the person you're supposed to worship isn't letting you kill the Avatar, it just doesn't faze him at all. Like, shouldn't you be scared that you're not doing your job? Like, they're so removed from their roles. It's so ironic to see. It's really messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say far removed is a good way to put it. Also, where's Uncle Iroh? Like, Zuko is, like, apprehending the Avatar. And it's just Zuko all alone. There's no Uncle Iroh. There's there's none of his crew or, like, his backup people. He just kind of shows up by himself. Where is Uncle Iroh? (laughs) I mean, I guess he was pretty outspokenly against the whole mission, not like the whole mission, but going into the Fire Nation and stuff. But do you think he's just hanging out on the ship? Yeah, I could just imagine him still sailing away. Just like, um, he's not following me anymore. What should I do? But yeah, when the Great Sage is delivering his lines and he's like, he must have crawled through the pipes. We've been tricked. And the way he says it reminds me of like General Akbar from Star Wars. Have you seen that meme? 
You mean the part in the movie where he's like, it's a trap. Yeah, he's like, it's a trap. <laughs> you see it coming, but when it happens, it's just so cheesy and so good. I fucking love it. This whole episode, I had like the biggest smirk on my face. I feel like the whole show so far has been building up to this episode. And then we see later, once Avatar Roku starts talking about the comet, like things finally get pieced together. Totally. I said it a lot about the previous episode, you know, the lost footage of the last episode, but I'll say it again for this episode where it like lays down the groundwork for the rest of the series and you really start to learn kind of the structure of the whole show where it's like, you have a deadline. <laughs> Here we go. It's it's December, you know, 21st, the winter solstice and you have until the end of summer and that's it. It's six months, give or take. And then this whole thing's gotta be donezo. Back to the sanctuary room. Avatar Roku tells Aang that he sent his dragon to find him in the spirit world because he needed to talk to Aang about the comet. And this is when the main plot of the show is like finally revealed. He tells Aang that a hundred years ago, Fire Lord Sozin used the comet to begin the war. Sozin's comet will return by the end of summer and Fire Lord Ozai will use its powers to finish the war. If he succeeds, even the Avatar won't be able to restore balance to the world. He tells Aang that he must defeat the Fire Lord before the comet arrives. Aang says he still needs to master all four elements, and Roku tells him that he must do it by summer's end. We cut back outside the sanctuary room. Commander Zhao tells his henchmen to not hold anything back when the doors open. We go back inside the room. Aang is freaking out about all of this, and he's like, what if I fail? Like, what if I can't do it? Avatar Roku reassures him that he can do it because he's done it before. And then, ah, oh, the cinematography and the editing of, like, the side-by-side -side with Avatar Roku's face and Aang's face when he says that is so good. He tells Aang that the solstice is ending and a great danger is awaiting him outside the doors. He can help Aang face the threat, but only if he's ready. And Aang's like, I'm ready. I thought he wasn't ready. <laughs> I don't know. I'm screwed. Then Avatar Roku would have been like, all right, you're on your own. And then he would have had to face those like 10 firebenders. <laughs> Aang's like, I'm ready. And right when he says this, he goes into the Avatar state. The doors open and the firebenders start blasting away. But wait, it's not Aang they're firing at, but Avatar Roku. Roku deflects the fire that was aimed at him and launches it back to the soldiers, freeing the gang, Shayu and Zuko from their chains. Everyone starts freaking out and like running around and screaming. Shayu tells Katara and Sokka that they have to leave now because Roku is like tearing the whole place down with lava bending. We get a shot of the light finally leaving Avatar Roku's statue and Aang transforms back into his body. Katara and Sokka catch him before he collapses on the floor and Aang asks where Shayu is but they don't know. The temple starts collapsing, and just when it seems like all hope is lost, Appa appears. The gang slides down the rooftop onto Appa's saddle, and they take off and look back one last time as the fire temple melts into the volcano. We cut to Commander Zhao's ship, and he's pissed. He's fucking pissed out of his mind. He blames all of the fire sages for what happened, and the great sage says that only Shayu helped the Avatar, but Commander Zhao doesn't see it that way. As far as he's concerned, they're all traitors. We cut back to the gang flying on Appa. The episode ends with them flying into the moonlight. You don't seem excited. <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to think of commentary. I, I mean, what I said before, it just seems so straightforward. It's like... 
this is the episode where they learn what they have to do for the rest of the series. Which is entertaining. It's great. There's not much character development. This whole episode was so epic though. Like with the music, we finally get like that iconic once shit starts happening. There's like the... Like the choir comes in and it's very intense. Dude, I love the soundtrack and the score of this whole show. Sometimes I just listen to it at work while I'm working on the computer. I love it. Everything. All of it. You know? Yeah. And then he he turns into Avatar Roku. That's insane. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, like, well, when you see Avatar Roku, he's all blue and, like, spirit-looking, you know? It actually, like, zooms up on his hand at this one point, and I notice that his hand is, like, see-through. It's kind of crazy. It's like the spirit shows up and or Aang turns into him. Yeah. And how does that work? Like it only happens during the winter solstice? Because in the episode before that, Aang couldn't airbend in the spirit world. Oh, hmm, that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with the winter solstice and how like, oh, the connection to the spirit world is like never stronger than it is on like the winter solstice. And I also think it's because they're at the right place at the right time. Like Avatar Roku's statue, the whole temple is under his name. Yeah, it's like mega spiritual. And I think it was just kind of like an an enhanced Avatar state. And I love the part where Avatar Roku looks at the fire sages that betrayed him. And they were just shitting their pants. It was great. Yep. We should play a drinking game. Whenever Sokka says, we got your back. Oh, yeah, he does say that a lot. (laughs) Um, Whenever someone says, something's not right. Like, I'm pretty sure Sokka says that in every episode. And then even, I think in this episode, Zuko said that too, where he's like, something's not right. What's going on here, uncle? (laughs) Yeah, Zuko probably says honor 50 times an episode. Also, when I rewatched this episode, I was getting really sad because you know that Shayu gets captured by Commander Zhao. And so when he's telling Aang, like, I knew I had to betray the other fire sages to help you out, the dude probably got executed. And that's so sad. Totally. Dang. I really hope that's not the case. Like, I hope they put him in, like, death row or something for six months. And then after Aang saved the world, he was let go. And he's still alive and kicking. But yeah, it's crazy how I just got so attached to Shayu. And he's only in one episode. (laughs) Yeah, you really like that guy. (laughs) Yeah, I do. (laughs) Because I finally know his name. (laughs) Yeah. It's like in the last episode, you kind of just see the visual of like the comet. And then in this episode, you kind of hear the explanation behind the comet. The comet itself is kind of like a sign of war and death. It's what started the war and just like created this like massive imbalance. And this whole nature and culture is in peril because of this 100 year war and like imperialism and all this stuff. And then 100 years later, the comet returns. I mean, it's still kind of like the sign of war and death, but in this sense, it's more of like the end of it. I don't know. It's kind of like a full circle. Do you think that like this whole kind of mentioning of like, oh, the balance. I hear Uncle Iroh talk about the balance all the time, you know, the balance of energies and stuff like that. Is that very like Star Wars-esque or maybe it's even bigger than Star Wars? 
I mean, we see later at the end of the season, like yin and yang, or twi and la, the koi fish and the balance there. Like, you need to have both. I can definitely see the creators being inspired by Star Wars, because I feel like everyone that was born around that time, or like grew up in the 80s, was inspired by Star Wars. Yeah, totally. Because it's all about like restoring balance, you know? And like, even in Star Wars, it's like the dark and the light. There needs to be a balance. Both need to exist. One cannot extinguish the other. And I think that in Avatar, the war, the point isn't necessarily to extinguish the Fire Nation, but to restore balance between all the nations and like all the energies. And they probably even need the Fire Nation and firebenders. Yeah, and then you see how, like if you've watched the whole series, you know that it seems like going back to Avatar Roku, Avatar Kyoshi, they have all had an obstacle in their lifetime where they had to restore balance to the world. With Avatar Roku, that bled into Aang's lifetime, and we see the consequences of that. You see, like, the face dealer for the waterbending avatar and how he didn't do anything and the ramifications of that, you see, too. It seems like with every new avatar, there is, like, an evil force that they have to stop. Yeah, Zuko's totally like a Sith Lord. (laughs) Zuko, I love Zuko. Actually, that is kind of, like, a parallel. Huh. Do you ever think about how evil Sith Lords and on the dark side of the Force, they always have like a disformity because it reflects the disformity within themselves and shit? Ooh. Yeah. If you think about, you know, Darth Vader, Emperor Palpatine slash Emperor, I don't know, all the evil Siths have like fucked up faces and shit. And then even in the new series with Adam Driver's character, what's his name again? Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren, how he got that like slash on his face that's like the beginnings of like this deformity and how darkness, like the dark side of the force that drives the imbalance just is like so disfiguring internally and externally. Yeah, which I call bullshit on because I feel like Rey would definitely be covered with ugly-ass scars, but she's played by Daisy Ridley, who's a total hottie, and so they're not gonna... Ugh. If they ever put scars on, like, a hot actress, it's, like, the most minimalist scar ever, though. Yeah, I mean, basically, I think Zuko in particular, I think, like, the pain of his heart... I don't know. That's fucking stupid. Okay. The pain, like the turmoil and pain. I, I think I overused the word turmoil, but like the pain on the inside is also just he wears it on his face. I don't know. He's like the most disturbed character. I love him. <laughs> is he your favorite character? I think so. I think overall, I mean, I love his dynamic with Uncle Iroh out of any group or duo in the series they're so contrasting and it just highlights all the great things about both of them and also kind of the terrible things too the juxtaposition I just feel like I connect so well with their dynamic because I almost feel like that dynamic in itself is like I struggle with where it's like I can get so angry and fired up over shit and I just want to like tear everyone everyone's head off. And also I connect so hard with Uncle Iroh and how everything is a joke and he's just kind of a goof. 
A lot of humor, of course, is derived from the contrast, but also they're just opposite in every way. They they like tug and pull on each other, whereas Zuko is so driven and has this mission, and Iroh is so not driven, and his whole life is pretty much over. He's like at the end of his career and like his life as a Fire Nation person, and if it wasn't for Zuko, he would be sitting on his ass doing nothing. He probably would have <laughs> nothing to do with anything, and he wouldn't have played the role that he does that's such an important role in like ending the whole conflict and the war so oh they need each other so much i love it (laughs) (laughs) i can totally see you as both uncle iroh and zuko you're probably the most passive not confrontational person i've met but once you get drunk oh my god you just want to fight everyone it's so funny It's like a complete 180, like when we were roommates and I started like getting to know you and your drunk side compared to your sober side. (laughs) You make me sound like a goddamn alcoholic. No. (laughs) I think that in general, I like to have a good time. But I think when someone ignites that shit about something I care about, like I will fight somebody and I get so worked up. (laughs) I love it. Oh, before I forget, what bender would you be? I've thought about this before, and my first answer was air. I think that I'm like a carefree kind of a guy, and I think air would be so fun and so freeing. And I always constantly crave that like freedom, like that type of feeling that I think that you would get from air bending and just being fucking cool. I connect with, I do connect with Aang as a character a lot, but. Upon my kind of recent viewing of the whole series, I'm just like, damn, dude, earthbenders are so fucking cool. And I feel like they're a little bit underrated and no one really thinks that they would want to be an earthbender. But like, oh, my God, I was just really starting to think about the possibilities as an earthbender, dude. So fucking badass. Like, okay, for one... All these fight scenes with earthbenders, I feel like, and I know they don't do this in the show because it would be kind of a cheap, cheap move, but any fight with an earthbender, like on the surface of the earth, they could just whoop, swallow them. They could just yeah. <laughs> end the earth and just swallow every human being that they would ever even want to and game over, like fight is over, that person's probably dead. And <laughs> I don't know, just... Ooh, the force of Earth to, like, build a wall or to build a bridge or, like, do all this fucking cool shit. And there's some scenes where, like, Aang is airbending and a fucking wall of rock, which, like, airbending doesn't have a chance. Same with, like, water and fire. I don't know. I just think. And then if you bring metal bending into the mix, like, that's just, oh, my God, on a whole other amazing level. I really think firebending is, like, the lamest (laughs) thing. (laughs) Like, you can burn shit, and, like, that's it. I mean, you can't build, you can't fly, you can't, more or less. Even waterbending is cooler than firebending. Firebending is literally just pure chaos and just destruction, which I guess fits into the show perfectly. But I thought you love chaos. I mean, I worship the goddess of chaos and I will surrender to it. That doesn't mean I would want firebend. <laughs> yeah, and we see Avatar Roku lava bend in this episode. It's kind of cool. It's so cool. I can't believe I forgot that he has the ability to lava bend. Uh, well, lava bending isn't that cool. Like, how the fuck? How often are people around lava? In Korra, they're able to lava bend anywhere or just like heat up the earth to the point where it's magma. What? 
Yeah, it gets insane in Korra. Okay, so you think Zuko's voice is sexy. I think Avatar Roku's voice is so sexy. Why? He's like an old man. I don't know. Oh, here we go. Do you know who voices motherfucking Fire Lord Ozai? Of course. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing it back around to Star Wars. That shit's motherfucking Mark Hamill, the portrayer of Luke Skywalker. Oh, also, so this is the first time we see, like, a shadow outline of Fire Lord Ozai. We don't see his face, we just see, like, the evil essence of him in Avatar Roku's weird prophecy monologue or whatever. Yeah, but we do hear his voice in the first season, right? I do know you do it at the very end of the season. Oh, right. Where he is like, Azula, your brother is a failure, and whatever. And he also does a mean joker, oh my god. Yeah, it's so funny how he just went right into voice acting right after being, like, a regular actor. I saw this interview with him where he was just like, yeah, I fucking get to eat whatever I want, wear whatever I want. And he was just, like, voice actor career only. Yeah, a lot of great voice acting in this show. Once Azula comes in, oh my god. I love Azula. <laughs> it's the same voice who does Azula who also does Vicky in Fairly Odd Parents, right? Yeah. That's funny. How do you feel about season one in general? It's probably my favorite. Really? Mm-hmm. Even without Toph? Hmm. I do love Toph so, so much. And I love when she joins the crew. I just feel like even as we go into the second season... There's a bit of a change in tone and there's a bit of like a loss of innocence, you know, which is kind of like part of the whole arc of the show. I mean, that could be like one theme throughout the show is like loss of innocence, I think, because it's kind of like a common theme when it's like coming of age and like the journey of a young kid who has to grow up way too fast and save the world. But there is like this sense of innocence, this kind of soul and spirit in the first season that is unique to me and maybe it's just my own experience and like looking back on when I was a kid watching this show and a certain feeling that I got only from the first season and not from the other two seasons but I love Aang when he is just such a simple kid um, and so relatable but also at the same time very smart and intuitive and interesting and dynamic definitely not like one dimension in any way But um, I think it's in the second season where he loses Appa. I'm not trying to critique that direction that the show went to. But it, you know, that triggered Emo Aang. (laughs) Enter Emo Aang, second season. And I don't like it as much, just personally. But, um, I mean, it definitely is an interesting arc and growth for Aang and stuff. Emo Aang made me miss season one Aang. (laughs) And then season three, it just gets more and more real, which is just, like, tough for me. I just want to go back to being an innocent kid. It's my own longing for, like, my childhood is what I see in the first season. And this first season is flawless, and I love it. It's great. Aww. (laughs) About you! Oh, man. I don't even know. I do feel like in season one, it's a lot of groundwork, a lot of exposition. If it wasn't for Sunset Island, what was that island in season three? I think that episode, to me, even though there's a bunch of, like, good quotes, I feel like that episode was really weak compared to rest of the rest of season three. 
And then half of season three with Zuko's weird, like, going back and forth and feeling conflicted about his decision also made me not like. But, oh, season three was so epic. But I would have to say season two for me is my favorite. Hmm. Although, no, ah, I keep going back and forth. I have to say season two finale was kind of weak. It was like... What? It was. I don't know. It was like Aang failed and... Zuko kind of teases you with being a good guy and then he turns bad and I just am disappointed in Zuko and then Uncle Iroh's thrown in jail. It's like it's one of those seasons that ends on a just really low note like you know no hope tune in for the next season. (laughs) (laughs) But season one finale was motherfucking oh my god amazing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How do you feel about when Aang turns into that huge blue koi fish, right? He drowns Commander Zhao. Does he even remember that? Or it was just like he just elevated into the Avatar state to the point where he wasn't able to control that. It was just like the spirit world was so mad at Commander Zhao for what he did that he just like, they drowned him. (laughs) They just grabbed Commander Zhao and was like, shoop. Okay, bye. Like what you said with the earthbenders and how they could just go, zoop, you're dead. (laughs) That's a good question because I don't remember specifically what episode, but I think it's like season two or something later on. And Aang was like, then I'd be a murderer. He was like, that's murder. And I was like, didn't you motherfucking murder that one fool? Like you've definitely killed some dudes. (laughs) And it's like, he's so disconnected from it. With Prince Zuko, he's like, no, he'll die. And it's like, bitch, you have definitely killed some people. Remember the encounter? Um, this is later on in first season with Jet and the Freedom Fighters and stuff. And they have that battle with the Fire Nation people in the forest. And they straight up totally murder some dudes there. They definitely killed those like Fire Nation soldiers. It's not like obvious, but also it's like, hey, yeah, that guy probably died at the hands of these kids. And it's like, yeah, dude, you're definitely a murderer already. So yeah, this show overall strikes such a great balance with like humor and action and excitement. In the middle of watching the show, it's like so fucking deep. I'm like, do these creators, is the audience in mind truly children? Because I almost feel like it can't just be for kids. It's just like, damn, everything that goes into it is like above and beyond. (laughs) But yeah, uh, thank you, Alyssa, for being on this episode. I'm so sorry the last episode didn't work out. I'm so sorry. No, it's fine. It was fun, even though none of it was recorded. It was a good time. And we'll bring you back for season two and three, where you can talk more about the love of your life, Prince Zuko. He's such a tortured soul. (laughs) I'm damaged. Fix me. I just want to fix him. (laughs) What's your favorite Avatar catchphrase? Whenever Zuko explodes at Uncle Iroh for, like, no good reason is my favorite. He's just like, I am calm. (laughs) So funny. So my favorite catchphrase is, because usually I use catchphrases to end the episode, my favorite catchphrase is Flamio Hotman, but it wouldn't really be, you're shaking your head. <laughs> I, I don't even know what you said, I don't recognize it. Flamio Hotman from season three. Oh, right. I don't know if I could say it now, because in 2019 that wouldn't be politically correct. Wouldn't it be like Flamio Hot Stuff instead of Hotman? 
Is that like saying hot man? Yeah, that's how it's spelled. Like when we were in college, everyone tried to be politically correct. Like instead of saying you guys, they tried to convince us to say like you all or y'all or and it's so programmed in our minds that I can't do it. I can't pretend like I'm from Texas and be like, hi y'all. I think with Flamio Hotman, I'm just gonna say Flamio Hot Stuff because I like that too. I feel like every episode I change the saying. Everyone probably hates me, but... <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's offensive to say Hotman, <laughs> if that's the quote from the show. Maybe I'm just so removed from PC culture now that I'm not in college anymore. I'm just hella problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that your favorite quote? It's like a hella goodbye. I like it. Right on. Uh, one of my favorite lines is definitely, it's in the second season, and um, Sokka is stuck in the earth, and Aang is trying to learn earthbending, and there's that cute little moose thing, and then Aang finds him, and then Sokka's like, Aang, this is Fufu Cuddly Poops, Fufu Cuddly Poops, this is Aang. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite line of all time. Fufu Cuddly Poops. Sokka has some fucking good-ass one-liners. Whoever voice acts for him is amazing. He has, like, a great comedic rhythm. So funny. Um, but yeah, Flamio hot stuff. When you're flying in the sky On a bison way up high With your friends around you And a little Lima too On a journey the sea will be soaring peacefully, drinking cactus juice all day till we hallucinate. Yip, 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 yip.